This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I had an uncle growing up. He was probably in his mid-40s, very young man. And he became very sick. Uh, His sickness uh, caused him to have to quit his job. He was a principal over a high school. And so he spent the rest of his life kind of cooped up inside. I mean, he could still move and he could still be able to teach in the pulpit, but he just couldn't carry on a job any longer because of his health. And so he devoted his time to studying God's Word. And he became a scholar. Uh, within you know probably a decade of doing this and I remember as a as a young man hearing him speak and he would just speak on a plateau that was above most other teachers I remember being a young 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 man and he was just like "Ooh, that's over my head one time I was about 16 much like these young men and I was given a lesson where he attended and after After services, he came to me. And I thought he was going to critique me, you know, with my sermon that I gave. But he didn't. He said, Clint, study the old law. He said, it is fascinating. He said, you will never understand the New Testament fully until you study the old law. You know, at that point, I probably studied the New Testament probably about 90% of my time. So I started kind of digging into it, you know, and it took some time, but my mind was just blown. And it's still, as I, as I grow in God's Word, it's still blown. Because the Gospel of Jesus Christ is found all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout time. And to me, that is just fascinating and faith-building. This morning, what I would like to do for a few minutes is I want to talk about the cities of refuge. And maybe you've never studied that. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're very educated about the cities of refuge. But that is a type of Jesus. And I want to show us that. And then I want to look at a man whose name is Abner. And I want to look how Abner and the cities of refuge, how they connect. And then from that connection, I want to talk about three points that we can apply to our lives today. So let's begin by talking about the cities of refuge. So the children of Israel, they leave Egypt, and we know that it it takes them some time, but they began to conquer the land that was promised to them. Well, after they began to conquer this land, it was time for them to divvy up the land according to the 12 tribes. So this tribe got this portion of land, this tribe got this portion, all except for the Levites. The Levites didn't get any land. They got 48 cities instead. In God's eyes, like these were the workers of God. The Levites, of course, we know they had responsibilities to to put up the tabernacle, to take it down, to move it. They had priestly duties like sacrifices. Their 
Their work was the work of God. And so their inheritance was be able to do God's work. Their inheritance would come later on. They would never receive land. But they were to abide in these 48 cities and do the work of God. Well, out of these 48 cities, there were six of them that were cities of refuge. These were special cities. These cities were, uh, were basically designated as a safe place for those that were caught up in a, mis in a terrible event. As we know from the old law, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If I cut off your hand, guess what happened to my hand? It got cut off too. That was my punishment. An eye for an eye, two for two. Very different from today. And so it's, sometimes it's hard for us to understand. But like if you committed murder, your punishment would be your own life. A life for a life. But we know that accidents would take place from time to time. That there would be accidental deaths that we may cause on someone else. Well, God made provisions for that kind of accident. Let's, I'll give you an example. Let's just say on, on my land there's this huge, massive oak tree. And one of these huge limbs is dying. It's, it's become rotten. It's going to basically fall down. And so I'm thinking I'm going to be proactive, and I'm going to cut this limb down so that when someone's walking underneath it, it's not going to fall on their head. So I've got great intentions. And so I'm getting up in this tree, and I'm sawing this tree. I'm looking and making sure that there's no one around. It's just about to fall, and unbeknownst to me, there's this, there's this guy that came out of nowhere walking underneath this tree, and this limb falls on their head, breaks their neck, and they are toast. They're done. I didn't know this man. There was no malice between us. Like, we weren't at odds against each other because of maybe boundaries, discrepancies. Like, it was an accidental, unintentional death that took place. But I was responsible. It was because of my carelessness that this person no longer lives. And so under the old law, God created these six cities. And so if I, if I accidentally killed someone, I was to drop what I was doing and run to this city. As you can see from this picture, this guy accidentally killed someone. And there he's at the gate. As long as he was inside of that door, inside of that gate, within the walls of this city, he would be safe. He would be safe. Well, who is this guy chasing? That would be called the Avenger of Blood. So under the old law, let's just say that... Um, I accidentally killed this guy. This limb fell on this guy. Well, his closest of kin would be called the Avenger of Blood. And so they would have the rights to seek justice. And so they would have the rights to go and to kill me. Because it was a life for a life. However, if I was in one of these cities of refuge, they could not touch me. Because I was safe. So the adventure of blood was a close kinsman that would be able to have the rights to take my life if I was just living life as, no, as nothing happened. But as long as I was in one of these cities, I was safe. What's interesting about these cities is that God designed them 
to basically be spread out through the land. As you can see from the middle of this picture, that's the River Jordan. And there are three cities on the east side of Jordan and three cities on the west. So matter, no matter where I am at, I'm within a close distance from this city. There's some more pictures. So again, the priest would have the responsibility to stand at the gate and to welcome the person fleeing for their life, to invite them in to make sure that they're safe. What's neat about, these, about this picture here is that here you have the land of Canaan, about all the 12 tribes living here. Well, these cities would never be within 30 miles from wherever you're at. So I think that's pretty neat. So they're no more than 32 miles. So you are going to be within distance to be able to run and to flee to these cities. What's neat about these cities is they were always set up on top of a hill. So you'd be able to see them from a long ways off. And they were built out of white limestone. And so when the sun shined on these cities, it would reflect the sunlight and it would almost glow. So I don't care if you're 30 miles away, you'd be able to see these cities sitting on the hill. You'd always know that's a city of refuge. Even at night, the moonlight would reflect off of this white limestone and almost calls a glow. So you'd always be able to know where these cities were at. It was a priest's job to make sure that the roadways to these cities were, were clear of obstruction and debris. These roads had to be clearly accessible at all times. That was a priest's job. They had to be clearly marked with signage that said, hey, this is the direction to the city of refuge. And what was neat too is that these gates of these cities were never closed. They were never closed. If it was in the middle of the night, you would be able to flee to one of these cities and they would let you in. As we can see that there are so many similarities. You know, if you would go to this city, there would be a high priest that would meet you and they would hear your case and they would see that, hey, this was an accidental death and so you had to stay within that city to be safe. If you left, your life was in your hands at that point. But as long as you stayed there, they would provide jobs, they would provide housing, they would basically take care of all your needs. And when that high priest died, that here's your case, you would be able to leave that city and go to your normal life. Your slave would be wiped clean at that point. And that avenger of blood can no longer touch you. Once that high priest died. Again, so many similarities to that of Jesus. These six cities, you know, they, they have Hebrew names, but they have meanings. One of them means that you are my people. One of them means I am your God. One city means you are safe. Another one says you are not alone. I care for you. You are clean. Jesus is like a city. He is the light of the world, isn't he? Just as he calls us to be the light of the world. No matter what, when he lived on this earth, people flocked to him because he was the light of the world, wasn't he? We can always go to him no matter what we've done. He has already died. And so when we come to him as our high priest, 
Everything that we've done is, is wiped away. It's clean. The way to Jesus is easy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple. Anyone can obey the gospel. So a lot of similarities between Jesus and the cities of refuge. So there's that. The cities of refuge. I had to kind of build that up for us in our minds. Refresh our memories on what the cities of refuge. Now we want to look at a man whose name was Abner. Now who is Abner? So we're going to go back to the days of King Saul and, and King David. We, we first learn about Abner when David killed Goliath. Remember Saul was king at that time. And so he asked this man named Abner, who is this David fellow? He's like, I don't know. He's not one of my men. So that's kind of when we're introduced to Abner. Now Abner was a cousin of King Saul. And because of his loyalty to King Saul, because of his intellect, and because of his skill sets in battle, Saul made Abner the commander-in-chief of his army. That was the highest position that you could have, the commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief, they would sit at the king's table. They would share a meal. Like, they were high up. You had to be a very intelligent man, a well-skilled man to be able to be the commander-in-chief of the army. So that's who Abner is. And so as, we, as David killed Goliath, he began to join this army. And so he would be under Abner. And it would be Abner that would teach David how to become a, a soldier, how to become a warrior. And we know that, that David had victory after victory after victory. How come he had all these victories? Well, we know it was the hand of God, but we know it also came because of Abner. Abner would have been the one that to teach David uh, the art of war. And so you can see that, that David and Abner, they had probably a bond of some sort, a mutual respect for one another. Well, as we know, King Saul and King David, they became at odds against one another because of Saul's jealousy. And so David and Saul would, would drift away from one another. Later on, it would be uh, king would be kind of rule over, or Saul would be ruler over most of Israel. And then, oh, David, he would be uh, ruler over Judah. Very small group of people. And so they were kind of at war against each other at this point. Well, as we remember, Saul dies in battle. Well, he had a son who didn't die in battle whose name was Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth became king over Israel. Well, they become at war, they had odds against each other. That is Abner and Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth began to, uh, to basically blame Abner about things. And so Abner left Ishbosheth. And went to David and said, David, I want to pledge my allegiance to you. I want to pledge my allegiance. And not only that, but I want to try to get the rest of Israel underneath your rule. That was huge. This was huge for David. This was a big day. Big day. First of all, he respected Abner a great deal. And if Abner, who was commander-in-chief of Saul's army, Ishbosheth's army, if he came to his side, then man, that was going to speed up things greatly for David and, and, his, and his side of things. Big day. So they, they basically rekindled their relationship with each other. Uh, Abner 
basically lays his allegiance down before David, and then he goes to one of these cities of refuge. Okay? So Abner is at one of these cities of refuge called Hebron. Well, then comes Joab. Now, who's Joab? Well, as Abner was king or uh, commander-in-chief over Saul's army, then we have Joab. He's commander-in-chief over David's army. Right? Well, he did not like Abner. Why is that? Well, first of all, they were adversaries for a while. And secondly, Abner killed one of Joab, Joab's brothers. And so Joab was an avenger of blood, right? He was a close kinsman that would be able to take Abner's life at will, unless he was in one of his seats. So here we have Joab comes to David. This was right after Abner left. And so David is excited. He tells Joab what was going on. And Joab says, He's a liar, David. Do not trust him. No matter what he says, he is trying to trick you and to believe you, and it's going to be a nightmare. So that's what Joab says. Again, why? Because he had a bone to pick with this man because he killed his brother. Why did Ab Abner kill his brother? You don't kill a commander in chief's brother, right? Commander of an army, they have a lot of power. You don't go and kill their brother. Well, during a war, a battle, if you will, things go south for Saul's army. And so Abner is fleeing the scene. He's fleeing the scene, and Joab's brother, whose name was Azahel, he was a track star in his day. There was no one that could run faster than this guy. There was no one that could even touch him in a race. And so here he is. He is running after Abner. And Abner is like telling him, please, I don't want to kill you. Just leave me alone. And he's not going to do it. Well, Abner knows that he cannot outrun this guy. And so when he couldn't run anymore, he just stops. And out of self-defense, he killed Joab's brother. But that did not matter to Joab because he was the avenger of blood. It was going to be a lot for a lot. So when Abner left David, he went to Hebron. He was safe there. And then Joab went to Hebron too. And he there he just camps outside the city walls. And he waits. He waits until Abner walks out of that gate and he kills him. These are David, King David's words. He said, and the king sang a lament over Abner and said, should Abner die as a fool dies? Abner died like a fool is what David says. Why did he say that? Because Abner was a war hero and he should have died in battle. That was one reason. But most importantly, if Abner would have stayed inside of that city walls, Joab could have never touched him. But he stepped outside and he died. 
And so that brings us the cities of refuge and the death of Abner. Now what can we learn thousands of years later? What can we learn from this story? The first thing that I want to look at is that Abner became careless. He became careless. Why in the world would he go outside of that gate and talk to Joab? He let his guard down, didn't he? He let his guard down. Brother, Brother Dwayne read this verse in Ephesians 5 this morning. Paul says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does circumspectly mean? That's one of those words that we don't use every day. It means to be careful. It means that you have safeguards in place. It means that you have protective measures around you to keep contamination out. An example of walking circumspectly would be our morning routines, our spiritual routines. You know how when we get up and we pray to God, we have a Bible time, we have meditation time. That is walking circumspectly. Those are spiritual things that we do before we enter into battle. And when we do those every day, we become, we walk in such a way that protects us from the fiery darts. But what happens when we don't do those morning routines is what I call them. Let's just say it's, it's Christmas. That's a perfect time where it's kind of chaos. All of our morning routines, they, they don't typically happen as normal because maybe we're traveling, the kids are out of school, so we're staying up late at night, we're watching more television than we normally do. Uh, it's just a, it's a fun, exciting time, but we get out of those routines. And what happens? That's when Satan kind of enters in, doesn't he? When did Satan attack Jesus? Do you remember when he did it? 40, after 40 days of fasting. He didn't do it after day two or day three or day four, but after 40 days of it because he knew that he would be physically vulnerable. And that's when he attacked. You see, he's going to attack us when we're going through spiritual, through uh, like, like financial hardships. That's when he's going to attack us. He's going to attack us when, when things are not going well in our relationships with one another. That's when Satan typically attacks. When we get out of our routines. So we always have to keep those routines. In the good times and the bad times. Sometimes those, we stop having those routines because we feel invincible. Life is going so perfectly. All of our kids are well behaved. Our marriage is good. Church is good. And like everything's right in the world. So we just like, I'm good. Sometimes that can be when Satan attacks. But we have to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. We cannot ever get comfortable. Why in the world did Abner leave the security and the safety of that city? Why did he do it? 
He killed Joab's brother. What in the world would possess him to go outside and to risk his life? I believe, I conclude that Joab was a messenger of light. He was a trusted man of King David. Abner and David had just rekindled their relationship. They are working together now. I now would assume that Joab probably had a message that he needed to give to Abner. And so he invited Abner close to him. He put his arms around Abner, grabbed his knife, and put it right above the fifth rib. That's what the scripture said, right above the fifth rib. If we start counting our ribs, where does that put it? Right there in the heart. It was a kill shot. You see, Joab, he was a skilled warrior. He knew exactly where to put that knife. So what do we learn from that? Satan's number one tool against us is deception. I mean, Abner was an intelligent man. He was skilled in the ways of war and deception. He'd use the same tactic over and over again. But even Abner played the fool for a little bit. And he lost his life. We think about, some we hear about these preachers and these pastors and how they fall into sin. We're like, what happened? It was simple. They were deceived. It can happen to you. And it can happen to me. All we have to do is let our guards down for a few minutes. And we can be deceived. It's hard because Satan... He can be an angel of light if he wants to be. His ministers can be angels of light, messengers of light. They can stand inside this pulpit. And we don't know the difference. Unless we are grounded in the truth. Unless we are walking in the light. Satan, from the very beginning of time, he tries to put doubt in our minds. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He put doubt in their minds about God's words. He's like, you know, 80 years is kind of a short amount of time. You know, you've never seen God. You've never really heard His voice. Is heaven and hell very, is it real? Like, why wouldn't you just want to live for how you want to live? Give in to your pleasures and the lust of the flesh and do what you want to do. Like, what if you do everything that's right and there's no life after death? That's how Satan works. He tries to get us to doubt God. And secondly, he says there's not going to be repercussions. He'll say, you shall not surely die. You do what you want. The repercussions won't follow. Oh, he's good about that. He's good at that. And then thirdly, he wants to deceive us in saying that you are a God. He says, you don't let people tell you what to do. You do what you want to do. When you want to do it, how you want to do it. That's when a rebellion comes out of us. Because we make ourselves God. And that's the lies of Satan. He says, you're more important than the person sitting next to you. 
You're number one. Everybody else comes after you. But that is a lie from hell. It's a lie. How could someone so intelligent die as a fool? Because they were deceived. Because they got sloppy. How many inches away from safety was Abner when he died? How many feet away was he? You ever think about that? I actually did. All he had to be was just outside of that gate. If he was inside the gate, he was good. Outside of the gate, he was not good. He was not safe. I love this verse. Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In this account, he's talking to a scribe. And this scribe had spent his whole entire life working for God. Doing God's will. He was a very educated man according to the Scriptures. He believed in God. He was close, but he was not there. He was close, but he was not there. You see, Satan, he loves for us to come to church. He loves for us to, to read his, God's Word. He doesn't mind if we fellowship with one another. What he doesn't want from us is to be all in. You see, he wants us right inside the fence of safety. But he wants us to stick, you know, like, like, like that old cow. You know how that old cow sticks his head through the fence? He's on the right side of the fence. But Satan has deceived him that this pasture tastes better than this pasture. But when we stick our little head out of that fence, it's not protected anymore. That's when Satan gets us. That's when Satan gets us. He doesn't want us to commit. You know, I think about Lot and his family, how he was told to flee from Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was going to be destroyed. And here Lot's wife, she does everything right, except she wasn't fully committed. She looked back, didn't she? She turned into a pillar of salt. I think about the five foolish virgins. They believed. They did most things right, except for that one command where it was that they were to put and carry more oil with them to be ready. But when they knocked on the door, Jesus said, I don't know you. See, when Noah entered into that ark, he was fully committed. He did not know what tomorrow held. He didn't know what the new world would look like. But when he walked inside that door and God shut that door, he was all in with me. And that's exactly what Jesus expects from us. He wants us all in. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9, verse 62. Lot's wife looked back. I think about Achan. You know, he wasn't fully committed. You remember how when they destroyed Jericho, 
he saw this gold and this silver. He's like, you know, I think I'll take some of this and hide it underneath my tent. Just in case. He wasn't fully committed, was he? He kept back some of these idols. And that's what Satan Satan tells us to do. He says, listen, you don't want to be all in because you won't get to enjoy this or you won't get to enjoy that. Just be partially in. But you see, Jesus doesn't call us to be part-timers. Part-time Christianity is not Christianity. He wants us all in. I think about Noah when it comes to this topic a lot. He preached righteousness for a hundred years. And not one convert. If we were if he was on our payroll, we may be like, hmm, maybe we should take him off. <laughs> not one convert. But I think I wonder just how many people were close. You think he probably had family members that he talked to, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers? Surely they were close. You know, he preached about raindrops. Something the world had never seen. Well, before those raindrops fell, they walked inside the ark, fully committed, and then it says God shut that door and he sealed it. They were in there for a time, and then the first raindrop fell. I just wonder how many light bulbs went off when the rain began to fall. I wonder how many people ran up to that ark and knocked on that door and said, Hey, I believe, I believe. Let me in. I see what you were saying all those years. But you see, that door was sealed, they were close. The flood hadn't come yet. It was just covered up to their, it just came up to their knees. But you see, it was too late. That's why faith is so important. We've got to do the things without seeing Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says, when I come, every knee shall bow before me and confess my name. Every knee will at that point because they've seen. Blessed are the people that have not seen. Is that us? Do we believe with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength that God is going to come? Jesus is going to come with His mighty angels taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are a part-timer, if you are a Sunday morninger, maybe occasionally Wednesday nighter, know that that's not enough. You've got to be all in. You've got to burn the bridges that connect you to the world. That's the only thing. It's the only way that Jesus will accept you. Accept us. Or if you have not obeyed the gospel, then you're walking outside the city of refuge. And you're not safe. You're not safe. Until you come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ, you have not forgiveness of sin. God is salvation. His Son is salvation. It's our strength. We get our glory from God. He is our refuge. 
And I beg you to come to Him and to commit to Him fully as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.